0: Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie.
1: Thank you for tuning in. This is Dr. Connie Mariano, and this is my show, House Calls. This is our third season. It is a monthly show now. And this is our second monthly show. So it's that time of month again. But before I begin, let me do a few honorable mentions to over 2,000 listeners listening in internationally. I wanted to say thank you to the new listeners out there, Lori and Steve Adams from Dallas, also to friends in San Diego, Bob and Liz Brown, who are very faithful listeners. And today we celebrate birthdays, Tom Gilman, Bev McLeod, and Leslie Ridenour. I also have a friend of mine, Thomas Gorney, who has some questions about uh, his his symptoms, and I think he might benefit from today's talk. But I want to ask you, how was your Valentine's Day? Did you have a good Valentine's Day? Were you with loved ones? I know it's a little bit hard because yesterday, as many of you know, we had a tragic event in in uh, Texas with the shooting of 17 people. Actually, 17 people died in Texas when a shooter took them out, 12 of them were high school students. So our condolences and prayers to the families of of these people who have lost their lives. And it's really hard to express how sorrowful we feel. And losing a child is probably the one of the most painful things that is beyond expression. So in the aftermath of a tragedy like this, we're going to see more news about the young man who took them out. And we ask, why? why? What, what makes this happen? What brings to mind what I think of is about mental illness in our world, that one person's mental state and their hatred isn't really in a silo. It reaches out and can harm others, and even though he wasn't killed, you know he was apprehended. He's going to stand trial, and we'll see what happens. But that's another young life that may be lost as well, and it's it's unfortunate, but it's the price people pay from having uh, this happen. So, do we listen to warning signs when there are people around us who need help? As a physician, I I, I experience being. Frustrated times and challenge with patients who have issues of mental illness. And I always ask myself, what do I need to do to prevent harm, not only to themselves, but for other people? So my plea out there to listeners are, if you have a family member or friend who is struggling with mental illness or is potentially violent, get them some help. You know, the hope is that in helping them, you can prevent a tragedy that, that may occur. So today's theme, I was thinking of the month of February. Well, February really is the month of love. It's Valentine's Day, right? And I think of good things like love of our country, love of our faith, of family and friends, but especially of something that I do every day, and that's my profession as a physician. So in studio today, I'm blessed. I, I actually have Uh, three guests who have history with me. In studio today, I have Dr. Carla Lamb, who I will interview at the end of this show. Uh, She's a woman professional, but I have two other guests who are listening in who will respond here in a few seconds. And our three guests have a similar history with each other and with me. We all met because we trained at the same Navy hospital in San Diego about, let's see, in the 1980s, 1990s. We trained in internal medicine, we served in the U.S. Navy, and one is currently on active duty in the U.S. Navy, and she'll be interviewed today. Two of our guests went on, uh, actually two of our guests went on after internal medicine to pursue further training in pulmonary, which is lung function and lung disease and critical care. And all four of us, I believe, I believe are really into teaching the next generation of physicians. Now, I'm the oldest one in the group, and I, my history with two of our guests, was that I was the attending physician or, let's say, the senior doctor and a teacher in a lot of ways to them when they were just young interns learning about the profession. And I would say that each of them has been practicing medicine over 20 years. You wouldn't know it because they look so young. I am uh, an old dog at this. I'm now entering my 37th year of practice. One of the things I love is that we share that common first name, doctor, even though we can probably tell you privately of our personal stories where we're mistaken for something other than doctor because, you know, when you're female, when you're petite or you're cute or you're pretty or you don't fit the stereotype of a doctor, they always think you're something else. And we've always had to politely correct people that no, I am a physician, I'm taking care of you, I'm very competent. So each of our guests has such incredible backgrounds of achievement and accomplishment that in a lot of ways, I could do shows on each of them Individually, But because we're blessed to have them involved in this, I'm going to sh- uh, interview them briefly uh, as different segments of the show. Now, two of our guests are in San Diego at the airport. They've had some glitches with their flights coming out because of issues with airlines. So two of them are listening in. And I'm just going to briefly introduce uh, Dr. Asha Devereaux, and then I'll have a chance to introduce Dr. Patricia Pepper. And then I've got some questions for them, and I think you're going to benefit from these fascinating Physicians. Our first guest uh, who's listening in is Dr. Asha Devereaux. She uh, has a medical degree in biology from UC San Diego, where uh, was my alma mater an undergraduate, and she has a master's in public health from Tulane University. She served in the U.S. Navy, re- achieving the rank of commander, and during the 11 year uh, that she served, she served as the Navy Surgeon General's panel for tobacco cessation as head of medicine at Beaufort Naval Hospital, and she served on numerous committees. She is in private practice in Coronado, California, has a very successful practice. She serves in a lot of leadership roles and is active volunteer with the National Disaster Medical System. She served, uh, she joined the hurricane relief efforts in New Orleans and Puerto Rico along with uh, assisting the San Diego fires. She's also published on many, many topics. In 2009, uh, Dr. Devereaux was selected as the top doctor in San Diego, and I can attest to that. She is outstanding and she was recently named the outstanding clinician for California by the California Thoracic Society. So Dr. Deverell, Asha, can you hear me? Hi Connie, um, I apologize for the overhead announcements from the airlines, <laughs> but Yes, I can hear you. Thank you for that generous introduction. And also I want the, uh, the listeners to know these are probably the three most humble women I'm aware of, but Asha, can you tell us uh, briefly about, you know, you graduated from med school in what year? Can you share what year? 1991. And from that time until present, can you sort of share with the audience the things in medicine that you've seen have changed over time? Well, one of the biggest changes is the entry of
2: computers into medicine. Um, I remember when I was in medical school in the library, it was where we would go to just access a computer, and it took about 30, 40 minutes for me to figure out where that on button was, mm-hmm. and now it's ubiquitous, and it's actually in every patient room, uh, patients are accessing it, it has revolutionized medicine, so, in many ways for the good, um, but I think now we might be facing too much screen time.
1: I think and, you're right, uh, yeah.
2: But I do think that computers has really changed the pace of medicine. Today,
1: now after leaving the Navy, you you went into private practice, right, Asha?
2: Yes, yes, I did. So, can
1: you describe your practice now?
2: So, I have the the good fortune of being the only pulmonologist on an island um, called Coronado near San Diego, and I take care of mainly patients who have asthma, COPD, lung cancer, and um, I like to describe it as a near Concierge care with, um, uh, uh, but not in that model where we pay attention to patients' needs. Um, it's like a uh, Marcus Welby community. Um, people, you'll run into people you know
1: and um, deliver care with compassion. Excellent, and I know I can attest she's had patients compliment her all the time about her excellent care. Uh, It's amazing. What is the hardest thing about what you do?
2: Um, I would
1: say right now it's the paperwork in medicine, I think, um,
2: trying to give the best amount of care possible um, despite uh, the prior authorizations and the Cost of medicine. I think a lot of people are being challenged by the soaring costs um, in healthcare. Um, so I think that's a challenge that we try to overcome every day to benefit our patients.
1: I had met you, Asha, Is when you were. oops Stand by. They're making an announcement. But anyway, when I had met you in San Diego many years ago, uh, I had put you on the same ward team with a Dr. Chris Dever. I knew you when you were Asha Vias and uh, you ultimately married Chris and became Dr. Devereaux. And you have two brilliant children, both in college. And did either one of your children ever want to go into medicine, seeing how your husband's a GI doctor and you're a pulmonologist? Did your kids ever express an interest? I wish they did. Um, they both, I think... Grew up in the hospital. Um,
2: we were twenty four seven. I'd always, I always say, the Navy issued me a husband and two kids, <laughs> and um, our days were long. Um, sometimes they would have to come to work with us, sit in the doctor's lounge, or we would do trade offs um, through the minivan and cars while one of us is driving into the hospital yeah. to um, to go to the ICU or do a procedure so it was probably they thought it might not be as fulfilling as they would have liked it but they both are pursuing their passion and we're really proud of them. We have
1: very smart kids. Um, Can you tell us briefly what they're doing now?
2: So my daughter Sabrina is graduating from Harvard this May. Uh, She's a senior there studying um, environmental science public policy and wants to pursue an expertise in fisheries mm,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I know I had to ask her what's a fishery
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but so she's going to focus on basically trying to save the world ocean <laughs> fish good for her and yeah and I think she'll do it um, it's a niche that a lot of people aren't filling and then my son's interested in dramatic writing and he's at NYU Tisch so I, I'm really proud of them they've um, found their own passion, and they're pursuing it, and uh, the theme of this show is love. Jeffrey,
1: well, good for them that they're pursuing something they truly love, and you're good parents to let them do that. If, Asha, if somebody were coming to you today, a young man or woman, and said, listen, Dr. Deverell, I really want to go into medicine, what would you tell them? Claim lost property. I think that's an excellent question. And I think,
2: and it applies to women as well as men. And I would say to always try to find people who are like-minded, choose your friends, choose your colleagues, choose your mate wisely with the same morals and values that you possess. I think the pitfalls in medicine are when people choose people around them for the wrong Mm reasons, and then that
1: creates conflict. Mm -hmm. I think you're really right. One last question before you get ready to get on your airplane. You you see so many patients in your practice, and a lot of them are definitely pulmonary because you're a lung doctor, but is there any advice that you give people in general to have a long, healthy, active, vital life?
2: Um,
1: Yes. Well, my passion is pulmonary
2: medicine. Um, But I found that the happiest and healthiest people took care of their whole body, and they questioned everything, and they exercised and slept and uh, ate correctly. And that led to me pursuing uh, further education and board certification in holistic medicine. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy integrating
1: that part
2: of medicine into what I do.
1: Can you tell the audience and, a little bit more what holistic medicine is?
2: So holistic medicine is more of a mind-body uh, focused medicine. It takes it takes a in, sometimes in western medicine we focus on organ systems whereas holistic medicine focuses on the whole mind-body interaction. Food is medicine, exercise, sleep, uh, there's whole different aspects, whether it's Chinese herbal medication, um, Ayurvedic treatment, Tai Chi, yoga. They're all integrated into that well-being from a, a whole body perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. So and you you practice that on your own as well, too, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, so I do. so as you and Patty were trying to get to the airport, you were doing mindfulness and deep breathing. and Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> we were definitely trying. <laughs> With the deep breathing part. You know, one of the things we realized, um, I think all four of us love being in control, and we realize there's a lot we can't control. I mean, I tend to like to schedule to the minute, and I always laugh when when there's always a wrench put into things. And there's a phrase I use called semper gumby, always flexible. You know, you having been in the military, it's a lot of times hurry up and wait, and then it's just, all right, how do we solve this problem? How do we adjust? We're never victims. We're always victors in the end because we have such great attitudes about, of course it's going to be complex. You know, getting to the airport, getting to this, and I I just smile. This is our... We had planned this weekend a while ago because we just wanted to get together, having after our reunion last year in San Diego. But I'm just delighted that you're getting on a flight soon, and then when you arrive, we'll definitely take you out and make sure that we uh, we h- allow you to relax and have a nice dinner. But. Thanks Dr. Asha Devereaux for for your wonderful answers. Uh, You're always prepared beautifully. We're gonna go to a break pretty soon uh, and then I'll return. I'll introduce your partner there, Dr. Patricia Pepper. I'm gonna have the same questions but I know her answers will be uh, interesting as well. So we're gonna pause now for a quick break. We'll be back in three minutes and to interview Dr. Patricia Pepper but I wanna thank Dr. Asha Devereaux as our first of our three guests today. Thank you.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States?
5: To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com.
0: How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you.
5: VoiceAmerica.tv is online now.
0: The
3: leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state of the art viewing experience, live and on demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want when you want it.
5: VoiceAmerica.tv.
3: From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between discover our new world visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television
5: voiceamerica.tv
3: friend us on facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world voice america empowerment
0: you are tuned in to house calls with former white house physician dr connie mariano If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie.
1: I want to thank our first segment guest, Dr. Acha Devereaux, who corrected me and reminded me that the shooting yesterday was not in Texas. Sorry about that, Texas. I didn't want to promote fake news. It was in Florida. So, again, our condolences to the families of the 17 people who died yesterday at the hands of a, a gunman in Florida. So, thanks, Dr. Devereaux, for letting me know. Our show today, as I was talking uh, with Dr. Devereaux, was... Was about is about love, the theme of love and what we love to do, which is medicine. And I'm really fortunate to have as our guests three incredible women physicians with tremendous talent and gifts in the in this field of medicine. Our next guest for this segment of the show is Dr. Patricia Pepper. Uh, She is a Navy captain still on active duty. I know Patty when she was Patricia Vold, and uh, she was I think an intern at the time. Back in the 80s, and I was her attending. I had to sign off permission for her to go on leave to be married to Dave Pepper, who was a, a pilot. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background about Captain Pepper. She is a native of Clarkfield, Minnesota. She graduated from the University of Minnesota School of Medicine with her doctorate in medicine degree. She holds a master's degree in health research and policy from Stanford. She assumed the role of Assistant Program Director for Internal Medicine at the Naval Medical Center San Diego, where all four of us trained in internal medicine. She provides uh, training to the Navy's largest internal medicine residency. And in addition to that, she cares for thousands of patients over her 20-plus year career as a general internist. In 2006, Captain Pepper was deployed on board the U.S. naval ship Mercy, which is the Navy hospital ship. During this deployment, deployment, she served as department head for internal medicine and was responsible for orchestrating the care of thousands of inpatients and outpatients, encounters in the Philippines, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and East Timor, which is probably a big challenge in those countries. She has numerous uh, numerous military awards, personal awards, decorations, including the Meritorious Service Medal and many esteemed accolades and several unit commendations and awards. And she is an outstanding teacher. She's an outstanding doctor. I know from my personal experience, when my father was admitted to the Navy Hospital a year ago and was quite ill. Dr. Pepper was the attending, and she came in, sat down with us, with my father, and my family members, and was just outstanding. If I could have taped her conversation with them, it was definitely a role model for other physicians to follow in terms of compassion and and explaining disease states to them. So thanks, Patty, for, for being on this show. Are you doing okay at the airport there with Asha? We're doing great. Thank you, Connie. <laughs> so I'm going to pose the same questions I posed to, to Asha about medicine. What year did you graduate from med school? In 1991. So 91. And so from that time until now, you're still practicing medicine. What have you seen happen in terms of changes in medicine that, you can, that have sort of changed how you practice? You know, I think
6: the biggest thing for me when I, when I thought about this question was what has happened with HIV care. Mm-hmm. So when we were training, uh, e- easily a third of all patients on our hospital service had advanced AIDS. It was a new disease. It was a very scary and a very deadly disease. And, you know, we were just learning about the disease and learning how to treat it and you fast forward 25 years and now our residents rarely ever see a hospitalized patient with aids because the drugs are so great and i think that really illustrates you know how medicine has evolved and it's not just the treatment of aids but it's several of the cancers we take care of you know it's the way we take care of multiple other diseases um and it really gives those of us you know who've been around medicine for a long time great hope for what's going to be the next breakthrough which disease that we really struggle with today mm-hmm. are we going to be able to very easily treat in five or 10 years. Mm
1: -hmm. I think you're right. I remember at that time, too, we were, I graduated in 81, so I started my internship, and they were discovering this thing called AIDS, and we were trying to figure out what it was, and it was frightening. That was the next big epidemic we were fearing, and now you're right. A lot of us rarely see patients with AIDS. It's still out there, but it's, people are living longer with the disease. Now, I look among us four, and you're the only one still on active duty, and you're back at where we trained. Can you share with the listeners what what you do in your practice and what you do at the hospital?
6: Right. Um, So we are um, the referral center for the whole Pacific Rim of all of the military. Um, So we care for everybody who's on active duty and their families, and then people who have put in 20 years in any branch of the service and retired in their families. So Our practice is like a practice that you would have at any civilian institution, um, but we have a lot more young people in our population because most of the population on active duty is very young people. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I practice general internal medicine. I do inpatient and outpatient medicine, um, and I'm involved with the training program. So Naval Medical Center San Diego has 25 residency programs, Um, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of residents and fellows, and uh, we try to provide a real good uh, learning environment for them, teach them about disease, so that when they go out there as fully trained staff physicians, they're ready for whatever challenges medicine throws at them.
1: So what do you find is the hardest thing about what you do?
6: (laughs) Certainly there's uh, there's not enough hours in the day, and there are pressures from many sides. So it's... It's a pressure of trying to figure out what's wrong with the patient. It's the pressure of trying to stay on time in your day. It's trying to balance work life. Um, it's trying to keep the administrators happy, mm-hmm. get your charts done. So I think it's just, you know, the ability to be incredibly time efficient
1: mm-hmm.
6: um, to get everything that's on your plate done.
1: So have you seen, like, the training programs change over over the years? In other words, when you, you're training your young interns and residents, have things changed from the time that you were trained?
6: Oh, things have changed a lot. Um, so I think, in my opinion, certainly for the better now, the House staff, the residents are covered by work hour rules. And so... There are work hour rules about the number of continuous hours they can work, that they need a day off every week, the number of patients they could admit. And, you know, those work hour rules were brought into being because of patient safety. Mm -hmm. And so certainly, you know, things are safer than they were when we were training just Mm -hmm. because our residents get more sleep. Um, We watch over the number of admissions they can make. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really has been uh, the biggest change that I've seen.
1: I know, I think it's a lot better now. I think from, from the old days when we trained, that was really hard. It, it's hard as it is now, but I think they take into consideration during definitely the amount of hours they sleep and are t- away, so I think that is a lot smarter. I look back at people's personal lives and I know you met your husband through the, through the Navy. Can you share a little bit about how you two met?
6: If you could please repeat yourself, oh. we
1: cut out. Oh, I, I I always find it fascinating how you met your husband, Dave. Are you? Can you yeah. share with people how you met him?
6: Sure. Uh, so I was on uh, I was an intern working on general surgery, um, and honestly, we were working 140 hours a week legally. Right. I mean, I really never saw the inside of my house. Oh. Um, and it turned out that I my future husband's dad was my patient, and. He was in the hospital for a long period of time and took a lot of my personal time. And at that same period, my husband, who is a commercial pilot now, was waiting for a check ride, so he wasn't doing a lot of flying. And he saw me there all the time and started to feel sorry for me and wondered if I ever left the hospital and did I ever get anything to eat. And here we are. You know, we've been married 25
1: years. Oh, that's amazing. And you have two wonderful kids. Can you tell us about your kids?
6: Right. So my son, uh, David, is a sophomore at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. He's studying engineering and economics. And my daughter, Elina, is a senior in
1: high school, getting ready to go to college in just a few months. Oh, wow. So the uh, the nest is emptying. So people wonder, Almost. here you are, you're, you're a, a captain of the Navy, you know, full time, you're a physician training uh, medical uh, people, students at medical centers, interns, residents, and seeing practice. You're a wife. You're a mother. So how do you do it? How do you balance that? Uh, you know, I think that my the advice that I would give women who are looking at
6: careers in medicine is it is definitely doable. Um, and I think that you know one of the one of my mentors um, in the Navy basically told me when I was young in my practice that you have to accept that you will need to buy your time sometimes in life and and whether that's you know you're buying convenience for meal preparation or you're buying you know you're buying health um, mm-hmm. you, you have to be very very um, with your time um, Mm -hmm. and learn how to allocate it but it is definitely doable and when I went to med school maybe 15% of our class were women Mm -hmm. and now if you look at medical schools in the country 50% of medical school classes are women Mm -hmm. and the system has adapted to women with you know flexible work hours shared positions those kinds of things so Um, it's definitely doable. It's a lot of hard work. I mean, for me, it's been absolutely worth
1: it. Mm -hmm. How much longer do you plan to stay in the Navy, Patty? Oh, probably another year or so. I've been on active duty for 26
6: years, so um, I will hit mandatory retirement in four years. I don't think I'll stay that long, Um, but I've had a wonderful time. I've, you know, worked all over the world. I've had patients from you know, multiple, multiple generations. It's been a wonderful career. I'm very, I'm so very blessed.
1: You've treated thousands of patients. I'm definitely certain of that. Do you remember your oldest patient? How old your oldest patient might have been?
6: Um, Well, I had a patient who recently died who was 100. I've had uh, two or three who have made it to 100. um, And, uh, you know, some of those people are fascinating. You, You listen to their life stories that has Span an entire century.
1: Mm-hmm. And now, I'm, and you give you dispense a lot of excellent advice to your patients about their lifestyles. And what kind of advice do you do you give your patients about living a long, active, vibrant life?
6: Right. So I tell my patients. Many of my patients are in their eighties or nineties. That the people who do the best when they hit the golden years are those who remain active uh, socially mentally and physically. And so if that means that you, you know, go to senior wellness classes or you're doing a gym when you're 80, good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really important for the elderly, especially to be um, active and engaged uh, socially. So, um, you know, whether that is through a, you know, senior citizen center, it's the church, it's a lunch group, those social interactions are very important. And then the mental interactions, you know, do the crossword puzzle, play Sudoku, watch Jeopardy, just read the newspaper, things to get your mind working every single day so that as you get older, the mind still works well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I see that in my practice. My oldest patient died at 102 last year, and her... Kids who were 80 when they came out to visit her told me when I asked them what was her secret, they said, "Mom walked every day, two to three miles, even in her 80s. They just got out and walked." My 93-year-old dad uh, always liked to walk every morning. So if you just keep moving, I think it really makes a huge difference to these people out there to really want to. I always say the goal of long life is. No pain, good brain. If you can make it that long right. and keep your brain working. And you probably see more dementia, right, with your patients? I mean, over time, are you seeing a large increase in patients right. suffering from that? Well, people live that? a lot longer yeah.
6: now than they did, you know, 10 and 20 years ago. So dementia is a real issue that we see in our practices. And, you know, it's a very disabling issue for yeah. families and for the patients as well. Um, and it's one that we don't have a lot of good answers for.
1: Now, when you went into medicine, were you thinking of doing internal medicine at the start, or had you thought of other subspecialties, or what made you decide to stay as a general internist?
6: I always wanted to be an obstetrician (laughs) until I was nearly out of medical school, and then I just decided, this really is not for me, Um, and I subsequently wound up in internal medicine. And I, I really would not trade it for the world, because there, every day is different. You just don't know, you know, what the day is going to bring. Is it going to bring, you know, working in the hospital? Is it going to bring the clinic? Um, is it going to bring, you know, discussing with discussing with patients weight loss or treating pneumonia? It's it's a very interesting um, lifestyle and career.
1: I know, isn't it fascinating? I I feel as as general internists, we're very blessed. We may not know everything about a particular subject. We know to refer them, obviously it's a pulmonary issue, we'd send them to Asha or to Carla or you know one of our colleagues. But the fact that, you know, you're the whole body, the entire person, and we love that as our, as our discipline of of medicine. And it is sort of detective work, isn't it? Sometimes it's a come. lot
6: of detective work.
1: And just getting to know them and the relationship. Patients are fascinating. But I know uh-huh. you and Asha are getting ready to, to board your flight shortly to come here to Arizona so we can have a nice... A relaxing weekend when you get here. So I want to thank you, Dr. Captain Patricia Pepper, for being our guest today on, on House Calls. So thanks again. And I'm going to uh, take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with our last of our three guests of our these terrific, outstanding women physicians. So we're going to pause here for a quick break, and then we'll be back on House Calls. <laughs>
5: To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor?
4: When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States?
1: I'm going to call her office now and join her practice.
4: Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com.
3: We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success. And every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: are tuned in to house calls with former white house physician dr connie mariano if you have a question or comment for our show today please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to dr connie at gmail.com that's dr radio at gmail.com now back to house calls with dr connie
1: Welcome back to House Calls. I'm Dr. Connie, and I always believe that my radio show in a lot of ways is my prescription for listeners out there in a way to cope and understand and to live in a world that's bombarded with difficulty and challenges such as the horrible shootings yesterday in Florida. So we have our third guest today, Dr. Carla Lamb. As I mentioned, the theme is the theme about love. Because it's the month of Valentine's Day, and we think of love, and love is a powerful medicine. It it keeps us grounded. It it inspires us. But I think when you look at the things we do in life, and how much time we spend at work, isn't it wonderful if you have a job or profession that you love dearly? And I think that's important. And I uh, really am thankful to our guests today. Uh, We've had Dr. Asha Devereaux, Dr. Patricia Pepper, and now our third guest is Dr. Carla Lamb, who also shares a background with us because she trained at the Navy Hospital. She is currently the Director of Interventional Pulmonary Medicine and Interventional Pulmonary Fellowship Program at Leahy Hospital Medical Center in Burlington, Massachusetts. She serves on the Board of Governors, and the Women's Leadership Advisory Council and served on active duty in the U.S. Navy Medical Corps when we knew her back in the 1990s. She is the first woman to receive the 2017 International Pasquale Siaglia, to pronounce it, Interventional Pulmonary Award. She's one of the first inaugural recipients of Chess Distinguished Educators 2017 awarded to the top five percent of educators in the American College of Physicians. Uh, Dr. Lamb has been has mentored pulmonary physicians, and is a past president of the Association for Interventional Pulmonary Program Directors. She's an international speaker and has been designated as a top doctor in Boston, one of North Shore's Magazine's top doctors of 2017, one of the best doctors in America 2017, as well as Castle Connolly's inaugural recipient of Exceptional Women in Medicine. And she joins me in studio today in Arizona.
7: So thanks, Dr. Lamb, for being here. Thanks, Connie, for having me. I'm very excited to be part of this.
1: She is a, definitely a superstar, and people will, a lot of times when you when you see Carla, she's beautiful, she's stunning. You know why do they look at women? You've got to be stunning, right? But they don't think we have brains that go with that. They always underestimate us. Have
7: people done that to you? Have you noticed that at times in your profession? Well, I think, you know, it is interesting. Sometimes we all are kind of guilty of maybe stereotyping each other. But I kind of like the element of surprise. So I think I have a lot of fun with it. And I think that when we start having conversations about serious things, then I find that people do take uh, take me more seriously.
1: Yeah, you know your stuff. You're definitely uh, one of the smartest pulmonologist I know. You graduate from medical school in what year, Carla? In 1993. So from then until now, I've asked each of your colleagues what what has changed in medicine that has surprised you. What What have you noticed?
7: Well, the most exciting thing, I think, in the field of pulmonary is in the area of lung cancer screening. And a lot of folks don't realize that the number one cause of death from cancer-related disease for both men and for women is lung cancer. And the real game changer for us um, in the last five years or so is that by coming up with study-based guidelines that show that screening high-risk patients who don't have any symptoms whatsoever but are in a high-risk category for lung cancer, we can identify things at their earliest stage, and then be curative in the approach to the person who has lung cancer. And it's saving lives. People are living um, despite having a diagnosis of cancer because we're picking up on it much earlier.
1: So what kind of patients who are listening in should should see their doctor about getting screened? Can you sort of discuss the criteria you use?
7: Absolutely. So the current criteria, and I think this is ongoing and ever-changing, but currently the criteria is if the person has a one-pack-per-day tobacco use use for at least 30 years, if they are ranging in the age of 55 to the age of 80, if they stopped smoking less than 15 years ago. Um, That is one group of patients who are deemed high risk, and if they have no active symptoms of cough or fever, they should certainly inquire, ask their doctor uh, about that. The American Lung Association has a wonderful website that patients can actually go in and look to see if they actually qualify to inquire about the information from their doctor. But I also will give you another group that we're finding also is considered high risk and they're a bit younger age 50 uh, to 80 maybe did not smoke as much a pack per day for 20 years but have other independent risk factors a family member who's had lung cancer or occupational exposure radon asbestos other environmental exposures or even a prior history of cancer
1: so let's say someone is high risk, they see their doctors, do you typically get low dose CT or a chest X-ray or what do you recommend they get?
7: So the screening guidelines now are low dose CT scan. And the benefit is that it is just that low dose. So the amount of radiation exposure to a given patient undergoing the study is minimal and does not really increase harm in any way re- uh, relative to radiation exposure.
1: So in your practice at Leahy, at, the, at the Leahy, what, what type of patients do you see normally day to day?
7: Well, it's a wide spectrum. I see a lot of patients who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, maybe tobacco related, but I also see a lot of patients who have asthma. And one of the more common evaluations I'll be asked to see a patient for is cough, a chronic cough. We have seen a
1: lot of it after in the aftermath of the what we call the flu epidemic recently. Patients come to me and say, "Doc, I've been coughing for, you know, 5 or 6 weeks now, that dry hacking cough." What do you
7: usually recommend for that? Well, I think uh, patients need to be informed about what designates a warning for uh, when does a cough become not normal. Now, it's expected if you have a, a respiratory tract infection or bronchitis, you may have a cough. It may last for a week to two. If a cough has lasted more than two weeks and persists beyond that point, then that should raise question as to why. And there are a number of causes for that. A cough that's uh, also never considered normal is if you ever cough up blood. Those are really flags that should kind of alert the patient to seek medical attention. Just to ask the question, is this normal? Should I be still doing this?
1: Now, I have patients who call and say, doc, I coughed up a lung, meaning just, you know, green mucus thick. Is that worrisome? Is that worries more worrisome than a dry hacking cough? Or does it matter how much is it copious? Do you? Are you concerned about that?
7: Yes, I think I think sometimes, it, again, it gives us as physicians clues as to what the etiology or the cause might be. So I think a productive cough often can mean an allergic reaction. It can also mean an infectious etiology or cause from a bacteria, especially if a person's cough, if they have a cough and it's changed character, meaning now there's mucus, there's a high volume of mucus that might be associated with a fever, any of those things that may be associated with pain in the chest uh, when a person coughs, those are things that probably warrant a clinical face-to-face evaluation and possibly chest imaging.
1: So what do you recommend for shots? Like someone says, you know, I smoked many years ago, my chest CT was fine, can you Briefly talk about pneumonia shots
7: that you'd recommend. Absolutely. Any person who has a diagnosis of underlying lung disease, whether it be asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, if they have uh, diabetes, or anything that may impact the immune system, then those patients, there are guidelines that really benefit from prevention now that we are seeing this influenza epidemic, we appreciate that the influenza vaccine may not be fully effective, but it's certainly better than no vaccination at all. And so patients who, have, who are at high risk have underlying lung disease, for example. So there's two types of vaccinations that I would recommend. Uh, an annual influenza vaccine. Uh, it can lessen the severity of the disease. Even if a person still contracts the flu, it can make the course far less um, aggressive and be quite protective. Secondly, pneumonia vaccine. The most common form of pneumonia out in the community is caused, caused by a bacteria caused by strep. And uh, the immunovaccine or the pneumovax and the booster that goes with that is extremely effective in reducing a person's chances of getting pneumonia.
1: And I, as I look at what you do right now, I mean, you work with a lot of lung cancer patients. You talked about the cough. You also mentioned something I asked you briefly about uh, in before we go out on air about reflux. Because yes. people say, you know, there's another cause for chronic cough. If it's not the lung, it's something else, right?
7: Mm-hmm. I always like to talk to patients when I hear a patient's had a cough. So a chronic cough is a cough that a person is having daily for more than a month or two. And then I I do a kind of a survey of the patient. Do they have reflux symptoms? Now believe it or not, a person doesn't necessarily have to have that classic chest pain, heartburn to have reflux. 30% of patients who have cough caused directly by gastroesophageal reflux will have a silent reflux syndrome. So how do you diagnose that? Well, it's a diagnosis of exclusion in some ways. I look at, I do kind of a checklist when I look at a person who has a chronic cough. I look to see if there aren't any medications, there are medications that can cause cough. Um, anti ACE inhibitors, we call them. Very, uh, 10% of patients on certain medications will get a cough derived by a medication that once adjusted will go away. My top three for cough are post-nasal drip allergy, cough variant asthma, and reflux. So if I really want to drill down if it's reflux, I, have, I give a lifestyle sheet to my patients. I say, let's make sure you're not eating Greasy, fatty, spicy, tomato-based—the the American all good diet, yeah—all yeah. the good stuff. Pizza, yeah, pizza, um, burgers, and those sort of things. And then I ask them to kind of abstain or ca- and caffeine. We're a caffeinated uh, society, and so cutting back on that or eliminating that as a trial, and trying not to eat before bedtime. We tend to watch the late shows and then have snacks before bedtime, and that's probably one of the worst things we can be doing if we're trying to avoid or prevent reflux. So trying to give yourself two or three. Hours uh, from your last ingestion of food before laying down can make a huge difference and actually eliminate the cough, oftentimes.
1: Now, as a woman pulmonologist, how many are there out there in this country?
7: Well, it's a small number, but we're growing. I think, you know, my field uh, specifically is interventional pulmonary, and when I started, there were only I, I could probably count on both hands the number of interventional female pulmonologists, but now we're In a global scale, we're approaching over 100 and counting. So it's an exciting area for women to explore because we're really pioneering innovations and and actually setting the tone for good patient care. So
1: what do you advise a young woman who wants to do what you do? What kind of advice would you give her?
7: I think the advice I would give, and which is something that I've kind of found to be true, is we don't have to ask permission to be empowered or to take charge. You know, there's always this adage, you know, to, that doors will open for us. But I would say we don't need the door to be open. We should push the door open and be empowered to know that we may be our creativity and our nurturing and our skill set to take care of patients and have creative ideas should lead and create the path. We don't have to wait for the door to open. We can push it open.
1: Good for you. Mm-hmm. I-, I totally agree. From all the patients you've seen, you've seen so many of them, I, I, and it's hard because, you know, definitely the ones with lung cancer, you do everything you can to save them. What kind of advice do you give your patients for a long, vital, healthy life?
7: Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times things happen to us in life that we can't control and we can't predict necessarily. But I always like to partner with patients. And I think this is why I love the field I'm in. I like to say we're, we're on a journey together together. I may, we may be talking about lung cancer, but there's so many options of things that we can do. And I always like to encourage patients to each day take a moment to be grateful, to acknowledge that there are there are solutions to these problems. And the, another great innovation about lung cancer, there's newer, newer technologies that are allowing us to target the cancers more precisely with immunotherapy, using our own immune systems to fight and put power behind the fight against cancer that's allowing patients with even far more advanced disease than we've ever seen living longer, living despite and not being defined by their disease. Absolutely. It's come really a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here in a few minutes.
1: I, I'm impressed again. I'm so grateful that you are able to come out here and be on our show. And I'm grateful to our other guests who are getting on an airplane to come out here and join us, Dr. Asha Devereaux and. And Captain Doctor uh, Patricia Pepper, and I wish you great great joy in what you do, and 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 our you know your patients are so blessed to have you there at Leahy We're we're going to try to recruit you here to Arizona. Don't tell them that <laughs> we're going to try to convince you to come here. Uh, one of the things as we talk about the theme of love, you obviously love what you do. You're so dedicated to, and I think the the positive benefits of loving what you do are so important. You you feel valued, keeps you mentally alert it connects you with human beings, the human story, the human element. I think if each and every one of you out there has work that you really enjoy, that you feel valuable, and that you love it, you spend so much time at work. And uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons I don't want to quote, retire. I love what I do. I may scale back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I think for us, it's truly an honor to be a physician, to be able to have the, the honor to tap into people's personal lives and that intimacy that they share with you secrets they wouldn't tell anybody else and that you can make That's a right. difference in saving their lives and, and changing the course so i i thank you all out there for listening in to house calls this month and in about uh, uh, twenty four hours this will be a podcast so if you have any friends who miss the four p m pacific standard time broadcast please tell them to go online to voice america empowerment channel and to click on to our podcast so you can listen to it, we'll be back next month, third Thursday of the month, 4 p.m. Pacific time for another version, another rendition of Dr. Connie's House Calls. So you stay healthy out there and, and embrace love and be loving to everyone around you. Take care and God bless.